Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Sutton service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Hi everyone. Uh, we have had a really exciting weekend for us as a church, Christchurch London, and particularly for us in Sutton because we have launched our Sutton service and gone to weekly services and we had an absolutely brilliant weekend, a brilliant Sunday. Everything went great but I forgot to press record on the podcast recorder and I was keen for anyone who was looking into what we're doing and for anyone who couldn't make it that Sunday to hear the vision talk as we look ahead to the start of this brand new chapter for us as a church And so I am recording this from the comfort of my own home, just to keep everybody on the same page. Uh, I wanted to start actually by saying a massive thank you to everybody who has worked so hard to get us to this point. While we're going to weekly services, a whole load of effort and energy has gone into bringing us to this particular moment. And uh, I want to just say a huge thank you. I want to say a particular thank you to Ian and Heather Rushton for all the hard work that they put in steering the ship over the last 18 months to two years. I want to affirm the leadership gifting on their life. But I realise it's also been a huge team effort. And uh, as it has been a team effort, so it will continue to be so. But I just felt it was appropriate to start by saying thank you, thank you, thank you. Not only for everything that this amazing community has done, but also for the way that this community has done it. With joy and faith and generosity in your hearts. We are so appreciative. And I think it's a real privilege to get this service going to weekly meetings, getting this service launched and off the ground with a very special group of people indeed. Uh, This uh, was actually my first talk after my sabbatical over the summer in Sutton, uh, which I'm sure I filled you in, was absolutely fantastic. And uh, because I don't have time to fill everybody in on everything I thought about and read about and prayed about during that time, I thought I'd start with a couple of book recommendations. We don't do this probably as often as we should at Christchurch. Uh, We should probably do it more because it's good to fill our minds with good stuff. And I read a study from Yale University in the States which said that on average, just on average, readers live two years longer than non-readers. So consider this me saving your lives. The first recommendation uh, was Reaching for the Invisible God by Philip Yancey. Uh, This book is actually over 20 years old and I just came across it for the first time. I've read a lot of Yancey's work. I think it's brilliant. And uh, this was no disappointment. And the book is essentially all about how do we have a relationship with a God that we can't physically see, hear, touch, taste, smell. And I spent a lot of the summer thinking about spiritual formation. How does the Christian faith really change our lives? And this was particularly helpful. And it also helpfully explores how can we engage with God and connect with him through the tougher seasons in life. And it's packed full of rich wisdom and some really engaging stories. And I hope you find that really, really helpful. The second recommendation is very different. It's called Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren. This is her first ever book, I believe, and I absolutely loved it. And the premise is basically, how can we connect with God in the most ordinary moments of life? The chapter titles include things like brushing my teeth, making the bed, sitting in traffic, losing my keys. And how in these seemingly mundane moments of life, we can still connect with God. And it's really helped me uh, engage with God in 
fresh ways and I clearly wasn't the only person who loved this because I looked on Amazon and 93% of people had given it five stars out of five. So if you do give that a read, I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And the third recommendation uh, that I gave was um, uh, Becoming Dallas Willard by Gary Moon. If you're not aware who Dallas Willard uh, was, he was a quite remarkable man, a professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California in the States, and a very deep thinker on things like spiritual formation. He actually spoke at Christchurch many years ago. He passed away in 2013, so it was some time before then. Uh, but this is both uh, the story of his life. He was a very humble man, as well as being a very wise man. But it's also a great introduction to his teaching. And what I loved about it was it took some quite complicated philosophical topics, but made them accessible to people like me. And uh, I hope this not only gives you a picture of who he was as a person, but also whets your appetite to get into more of his work, which is very rich indeed. Uh, I'm sure there will be more book recommendations over the coming year, but that's three uh, to get us started. Uh, on to the talk for uh, the first weekend of weekly services in Sutton. And uh, we're doing things a little bit differently, because as a church, we're going through a series through the Old Testament book of Proverbs this term. But each of our services in Sutton, Stockwell, Blackfriars, Covent Garden and Bethnal Green are pausing that for one weekend in order to focus on where we are individually at as a service. So we have five different speakers in five different services and in Sutton, I'm afraid you lot ended up with me. And uh, I want to do things a little differently. Uh, ordinarily, on a Sunday, we would take a passage in the Bible, unpack what it means and then apply it to our lives. Uh, instead, what I want to do in this talk is outline some of my thinking from my summer away, uh, share a few reflections, and then pull those thoughts together with a Bible verse at the end, which I feel is for us as a service as we go to weekly services in Sutton. And um, I guess where I want to start is with one of the first books I read over the summer, which was called The Prophetic Imagination by a guy called Walter Brueggemann. I picked this book partly because I saw it recommended on social media. It was described as a Christian classic written in 1978, and the title really intrigued me. Now, in reality, I didn't enjoy the book so much. I found it a bit clunky and confusing. Sorry, Walter. Um, but there were some really interesting nuggets in there. And one of them was this. He described one of the great sicknesses or maladies of our day as consumerism. This me-first approach to life which is obsessed with getting more, more, more. And he said, if we're not careful, this can infect every area of life, including our faith. So, for example, when I come to church on Sunday, I define a good time of worship by whether it moved me emotionally. Or I describe a good sermon by whether it stirred my emotions or stimulated me intellectually or whether I learned something new. And he said, if we approach faith and church and Christianity like this, it will end up leaving our faith very, very shallow indeed, because it's basically all about us. But also during the storms of life, when things get difficult, we are much more likely to walk away, because it will seem like the product isn't working, and will therefore need to go in search of another product. As if to labour the point on this, uh, Eugene Peterson, who authored the message translation of the Bible, would often observe Christians going off to conference season. And they would experience these fiery, intense emotions of exuberance, these seemingly life-changing moments. But three or four weeks after the conference, 
they still seemingly had all the same old habits and struggles that they had before. And he was like, what is all that about? Is that really changing people's lives? Now, just as a small aside on this, I want to make it clear that I am all for emotions in church. Because at the heart of the Christian faith is a relationship with a loving God. And we don't want that to be emotionally neutral. Emotions are God's gift to us. And we must enjoy him in the highs and lows of life. And our Christian community should be about worship and joy and celebration and mourning and weeping and struggles and every emotion in between. Emotions are great. They're really helpful. They are just not what changes our lives. And I spent a lot of the summer really mulling over what really changes our lives. The Bible has some quite staggering promises about the life change that is possible when we follow Jesus. How do we get that life change? Because that's what I really want for myself. That's what I want for everybody in our community in Sutton. And it's what I want for everybody with whom we come into contact as a community. How does my life really change? And the conclusion that I came to in many ways was almost patronisingly simple. When I share it in a moment, you'll be like, what? Is that it? But I felt like for me, I had to learn it all over again. And the thing I spent a lot of my time reflecting on over the summer was this. It is that spiritual growth takes place in a very similar way to physical growth. Spiritual transformation and physical transformation are not so different. Just like physical transformation requires regular nourishment with the right things over time in the context of a wider family of relationships, so spiritual transformation happens precisely the same way. Nourishing myself with the right things over time in the context of a wider community around about me. Let me take each of these very briefly in turn. Firstly, I need to nourish myself with the right things. I calculated that up to uh, breakfast this morning, so far in my life, I have eaten approximately 513,078 meals. That is a lot of food. Half a million meals. Now, over the course of my life, some of those meals have been banquets. They have been feasts. Some of them have been not so good. I am not the greatest cook in the world. Most of them have been very forgettable indeed. But here's the thing, over all of those half a million meals, there has never been a single meal about which I have said beforehand, this right here is going to be the meal that changes my life. I won't need to eat again after this. That would be a very silly thing to say and to think. No, it is the ongoing fueling of my body over time that has produced what you see today. My wife says I've been fueling my body too much in certain areas, but we won't open that Pandora's box. But spiritual growth happens precisely the same way. I need to nourish myself not as a one-off. There's no one sermon. There's no one time of worship. There's no one church service or one conference that's going to change my life. No, it is the ongoing fueling of my body over time which leads to lasting spiritual transformation. Yes, God can break in with us suddenly. God can bring miraculous moments, but his general way of working is, if I nourish myself with the right things, over time, he takes care of the growth. Dallas Willard, who I mentioned earlier, put it like this. 
Authentic transformation really is possible if you are willing to do one thing. Rearrange your life around the things Jesus practiced in order to receive life and power from the Father. That's it. That's how we see our lives transformed. I've got to orient my life around the things that Jesus practiced. Community. Prayer. Studying scripture. Serving those in need. Loving my neighbour. Fasting. Solitude. Worship. Celebration. And so on and so forth. And as I give myself to these things, in due course, transformation takes place. But it has to happen over time. Uh, Just to labour the point on this. I remember the moment when my little girl, Mia, was born. That was a very traumatic labour for me. Joy punched me three times during that. One of them I deserved. I won't talk about the other two. Well, a couple of weeks ago, she celebrated her sixth birthday. And if you've seen photos of her, you'll know that she has changed a lot in those six years. My little princess. But here's the interesting thing. In those six years, there has never been a single day when I have noticed a qualitative change in her from the previous day. She's never come down to breakfast in the morning and I've thought, goodness, who are you? I put to bed a totally different looking child. No, she looks very much the same today as she did yesterday. And she looks the same yesterday as she did the day before. I have never noticed her growing. But here's the other interesting reflection. I have never worried about her growth. I've never noticed her growing, but I've never worried about it. I've never looked at Mia and said, oh, come on, in a frustrated tone, grow, will you? Just just grow. That would be a silly and irresponsible thing for me to do as a dad. Now, my conviction is if I nourish her with the right things, if I give her love and food and water, if I help her get to bed on time, if I help her navigate the complexities of relationships in the school playground, if I help her with her homework and so on and so forth, if I nourish her with the right things, then in due course, the growth will take care of itself in the way and at the pace that God intended. That's how growth happened. But I don't need to worry about the growth. Now, of course, there are moments when I do acknowledge, oh yeah, growth has taken place. Maybe when I look at a photo of her, when she was much younger, and I think, oh goodness, look at what has happened. Perhaps other people can help me realise the growth that has taken place. Maybe grandma and granddad come to visit and they see her and think, goodness, how you've changed, we've not seen you for ages. But actually in the day-to-day, I don't notice growth, but it doesn't mean it's not happening. If I nourish myself with the right things, growth takes care of itself, and spiritual transformation works precisely the same way. If I nourish myself with the right things, I don't need to worry about the growth. God takes care of that at his pace and in his way. And if this sounds thoroughly mundane and boring, it's kind of because it is. The philosopher Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, forgive my French accent, puts it like this. Above all, he says, above all, trust in the slow work of God. C.S. Lewis, the great author and professor, He described Christianity as delightfully humdrum. I like that. Regular nourishment with the right things over time. God takes care of the growth. The challenge is, in a city like London, in fact, the mystic Thomas Merton said, in pretty much every city, it's like everything kind of grates against this worldview. In a city, everything seems to focus on the growth 
and the achievement and the accomplishment and I need to make sure I'm performing for everybody else. And because my focus is in the wrong place, I missed out on nourishment that would lead to genuine transformation because instead I'm chasing pseudo-transformation. It's all about the growth and not about the nourishment. As I was reflecting on this, I was reminded about the Old Testament commands to rest. Uh, I shared this in a talk many, many years ago. You can possibly find it on the podcast somewhere. But if you read the commandments to rest in Exodus and Deuteronomy, they're actually different. If you read the verses in Deuteronomy, God says, I'm commanding you to rest. And then he says this, because remember when you were slaves in Egypt. Why would God link resting to remembering the time when you were in slavery? Here's the reason. God is basically saying this. Remember that time in your history where for 400 years you never had a holiday, you never had a break, you never had a day off. What were you then? You were slaves. And therefore I want you to take a Sabbath so you don't become a slave to anything. Because if you give yourself to something and you can't let go, chances are you might well be a slave to that thing. I was reminded of a scene in the children's story, Gulliver's Travels. When Gulliver gets to Lilliput, this land of little people, the Lilliputians conclude that Gulliver's watch must be his god because he is looking at it the whole time. When I was reminded of that, I thought, oh, ouch, that is me so often. Have I become a slave to performance? And achievement. The power of Sabbath is I'm going to take a break. I am going to stop because I'm free. It's a gift of God to me. But if you read the commandment to read uh, the, the commandment to rest in Exodus, it's actually different. God says rest, and what's the motivation? What's the reason? It's because God rested. Why do I rest? Because God rested. Well, in the ancient world, the idea of God or the gods resting was very different from our modern idea of rest. When the ancients thought of God resting, they would not have thought of God sitting in a deck chair, eating an ice cream, sipping a margarita. That was not their concept of rest. The best way I can explain it is by trying to put it this way. If, if you read through Genesis 1 and 2 in particular, there is a whole load of temple symbolism. The ancients would have read it and seen, oh, well, there's a description of a temple uh, being described here. There's not time to go into it now. But in the ancient world, the idea of God or the gods resting in a temple, it was like the moment a king finished a coronation ceremony, sat on his throne and began the process of ruling and reigning his kingdom. Incidentally, as a smaller side, in the ancient world, a coronation ceremony was usually seven days in length. Theologian John Walton, who's written some brilliant material on this and is endorsed by a wide range of Christian thinkers, uh, he describes it like this. The idea of God resting, it's like the moment a presidential candidate wins the election and then steps into the White House to become president and to begin kind of leading and ruling across his kingdom. In other words, God does not rest in the way that we conceive of rest. God is always working. The way that Jesus put it in John 5 verse 17 is like this. My father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. In other words, I rest because he does not. 
I take a day off as a way of saying, you know what, my provision, my protection, it does not rest on my shoulders. It's on his shoulders. And so I'm going to trust that if I stop working, he will not. In the ancient world, that was a radical step. No other nation in the ancient world took a day off like the Israelites. Because in an agricultural economy, if you, don't, if, if you rest, you might not actually eat. You might not get the harvest. Your crops might suffer. So every other nation just continued to work. The Israelites took a day off as a way of saying, you know what, ultimately, we're going to play our part. We're going to do our bit. But ultimately, growth, provision, protection, it rests on the shoulders of God, not us. And so we will stop working because he does not. I was struck by the fact that almost the first task of Adam and Eve in Eden was to learn this lesson. God creates humankind on day six. Day seven is a day of rest. It's almost like God is saying, even though there's a garden to tend to, hey guys, I've got this. You just take a day of rest because I don't stop working and you can trust in me. That's our faith challenge too. At the start of this service, to take a step back and realise, you know what, ultimately, the future of this service does not rest on our shoulders, it rests on his. Why do I say all of this? Well, let me start by drawing a few of these thoughts together. Uh, I was really struck by uh, what Lars shared when he spoke in this service in July, just before we had an extended break for the summer, as we were meeting uh, fortnightly and then had a kind of long break. And uh, I was away at the time, but he told me what he was going to share. He set aside the sermon that he was going to be speaking on. It was part of the series we were going through at the time. And he said, I think I really need to share this with you. I think God has put something on my heart for us as a service, which was this. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. And the more I've thought about this, the more I've thought, I think this is exactly for us right now. What might God be saying to us? Well, let me continue with this idea, this theme of growth. If uh, any of us have ever had a, a newborn baby, particularly our first newborn baby, there's people in our community right now who are very much in this phase, you realise that your world is turned upside down. You have dirty nappies and vomit-covered clothes. You have sleepless nights. and Your world feels totally turned upside down. There's mess everywhere and you feel like you have no idea what you're doing. But in spite of all of that, I am yet to see a parent hold a newborn in their arms and say to the newborn or to themselves, oh, I just wish you were 17 years old. I wish you were all grown up. I wish this time had come and gone. Now, in spite of the hard work, you take delight in the cuteness and the newness and the littleness and the dependence. Well, maybe it's the same for us as a service. You know, right now, it's like we're a little baby. There's going to be miss. There's going to be hard work. There's going to be mistakes and things that don't get communicated in the way that we would want them to, at least. And yet, at the same time, despite all of that, we are not to look at this service and say, oh, I wish you were 17 years old. Oh, just grow, will you? No, let's take delight in the smallness. And the fact we can all fit in someone's home and eat together. Let's not try and rush this moment. Let's make the most of it. Let's eat and fellowship together with great joy in our hearts. 
God will take care of the growth in his own time and his own way. Our job is to nourish ourselves with the right things. So let's do that and live with this healthy, restful dependency on God. Spiritual transformation. If I want my life to be transformed, I just got to focus on nourishing myself with the right things. He takes care of the growth in his own time, in his own way. But here's the clincher. It has to be in the context of a wider network of relationships. Just like when I'm growing as a child, my kids need other people around them to make sure they do nourish themselves with the right things. And they need other people around them to help them realise that there is a world bigger and greater than themselves where they are to make a contribution. It is exactly the same with us. I came across a really interesting story that I've not actually heard of before that kind of illustrated this. It was about a guy called Abbe Pierre. And uh, this story took place shortly after... Uh, the Second World War. He was um, uh, born to a noble family in France. Uh, he was very wealthy and very influential, and he was involved in the French parliamentary system. And shortly after the Second World War, France was reeling from the effects of Nazi occupation. And the streets of Paris, in particular, were littered with homeless beggars. And Abbe Pierre, he grew frustrated at... Uh, all the discussions happening in Parliament which were leading to real change on the streets. And in the end, he left behind his life of nobility and all his wealth and prestige, and he became a monk. He became Abbe Pierre, and he started working on the streets alongside these homeless beggars. And he got them into teams, and he got them organised, and he helped them collect recyclable goods where they could kind of resell them and make a bit of money. But the transformative moment for his organisation and for his ministry came when he said to each of the homeless beggars, I want you to take responsibility for another homeless beggar. Well, it was the tipping point for his ministry. And within a short while, the streets of Paris were cleared of homeless beggars. I mean, isn't that an extraordinary story? And an organisation called Emmaus was born. You may have heard of them. But then Abbe Pierre encountered a problem. Because with the streets of Paris now transformed, there were no more homeless beggars for people to care for. What was he going to do? And he went on something of a pilgrimage, a mission, to find other people that he could care for. And he actually came across a leper colony, a group of untouchables. And when he got there, he said these words, I must find someone for my beggars to help. If I don't find people worse off than my beggars, this movement could turn inward. They'll become a powerful, rich organisation and the whole spiritual impact will be lost. They'll have no one to serve. And so upon finding this leper colony, he got these former beggars building things like hospital wards. He said this, we must serve or we die. Abbe Pierre had stumbled upon a profound spiritual truth, which is this. That if I want spiritual transformation simply for myself, ultimately it will turn inward and all spiritual impact will ultimately be lost. I need a bigger community where I can play a part. Not just in the church, but beyond the four walls of the church community as well. This is why we're here, to make a difference in the lives of others. And if we genuinely want both our lives, our community and those we come into contact with to be transformed, if we want lasting spiritual transformation, we have to look beyond ourselves. This is why things like our midweek connect group 
is so important. I know we're busy. I know we have stuff on. and I can't even always make it myself due to other commitments. But actually, my attitude should not be, oh, am I going to go to this group to get something, to receive something? It should be, no, I have a contribution to make. Because if I want lives to be changed, they need my contribution and I need this. And so I want to encourage us to approach Sunday services, midweek connect groups, things like Alpha, any other context in which we are involved in that way. Not what can I get out of it, where am I being fed, but where can I serve? To quote Abbe Pierre, we must serve or we die. And I need you, just like you need me, to grow into everything that God has for me and for us in the future. My spiritual transformation depends on you. Your spiritual transformation depends on me. Genuine, lasting spiritual transformation is not far off physical growth. I need to nourish myself with the right things. And over time, God will take care of the growth. But I must be part of a community that is bigger than myself. Let me draw all these threads together with our Bible verse as we kick off weekly services in Sutton. It's from 1 Peter chapter 2. And it's just a couple of verses which say this. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Just as an aside, if you read 1 Peter 1, that pure spiritual milk is holiness. Orienting my life around the things Jesus did in every part of life, in my community, in my work, in my finances, in my relationships. Crave all of this so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. In other words, here's the promise. If I orient myself around the right things, God promises my life will be transformed. I will grow up in my salvation. Then Peter writes this, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, that's Jesus, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In other words, here's the promise God gives us. As we orient our lives around the right things, as I nourish my life with the right things, In the context of a wider community, not only will I be transformed, not only will I grow up in my salvation, but God will take each of us like living stones and he will build us into a spiritual house. He'll build us into a temple. Temples in the ancient world were places where heaven touched earth where God connected with people. And so the promise is this, as we live this stuff out, not only will we be transformed, but God will take us and build us into a place where heaven touches earth. In other words, the vision for this service in Sutton has nothing to do with all that we are going to do. Sure, we'll play our part. But the vision for this service is he is building this service. He is building this church, not us. And our first and primary call is to take a ah, restful step back. This faith step to say, you know what? We recognise that whatever is built here, you are doing this, not us. And our trust is to be in him. What is God going to build? I have absolutely no idea. Though let me speculate for a moment. One of the metaphors in the Bible for God as a builder is that he's a bit like a potter with clay. And as I reflected on this, it kind of got me thinking, what's in the clay for us as a community right now? What's in the clay? I was just struck by the fact that in our community right now, small as we are, 
there's a real passion for children and youth work ministry. It kind of got me thinking, I wonder what God's going to do with that. There's a real thirst and passion in our community right now for the life-changing power and presence of God. Not just for us, but for those we come into contact with. It kind of got me thinking, I wonder what God's going to do with that. There is an unusual hunger for authentic community. A desire to welcome anyone and everyone. Over the last 15 years of this church, a high proportion of people who've been involved or led the welcome team have somehow found themselves in this service. It's kind of got me thinking, I wonder what God's going to do with that. A couple of weeks ago, there was four or five of us just praying. And uh, we were just praying for us as a service. I was feeling pretty tired, to be honest. And um, uh, Christian Cogley, who's part of our church community, he just felt he got a nudge from God. And he said, I really sense that we're going to be a place where many people who feel broken and burned out and disillusioned with church are going to come along and not only find hope and faith for their own lives and God's plan for them, but they also find hope and faith for the church again. And as he prayed it, I don't want to hype anything up or super spiritualize this moment, but I had the most profound sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit. It was like I could see it. It was like I could see, yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. The vision for this service is that he's the potter, we're the clay. And what he's going to build, well, at the end of the day, I'm just speculating. But my hope and confidence is in him. And here's the reason. He is a master builder and he only makes masterpieces. And so what he's going to build here is going to be something special. What will it look like? Well, I don't know. I'm just speculating. Maybe we as a service will reach thousands. Maybe we'll plant loads of other services in due course. Maybe God will always delight in our smallness. God uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Maybe maybe one of the most important contributions for us as a service will be the way that we care for and raise up as a community the large number of children in our community right now, who, by the way, are some of the most important people in our church. They're the leaders and pioneers of the future. I don't know what God's going to build. But I do know this, that the vision for this service is he only makes masterpieces. And if we give ourselves to the right things, in the context of a wider community, not wanting to simply be transformed myself, but to see that transformation beyond me, God will take care of the growth in his own way, at his own pace. But I promise it'll be something very special indeed. And so the application for us as a service is actually very, very simple. What are we going to do as a service? We're going to orient our lives around the right things. We're going to study the Bible together. We're going to pray We're going to eat together. We're going to come together each week to worship and to learn. We're going to celebrate when new babies are born and offer support when people go through tough times. We're going to practice hospitality, generosity and serving each other until we get good at it. We're going to do our best to forgive grievances and to confess our sins. We're going to love our neighbours. We're going to believe the best of each other when there are misunderstandings. We're going to laugh and play together. We're going to take time away for solitude and reflection and come together for celebration and community. 
We're going to enjoy Christmas and Easter, parties and exam successes, rejoice over new jobs and new people joining. We're going to support each other through rainy Januaries and financial disappointments, sudden unemployment, relationship stresses, and all the unavoidable doubts and fears that come with everyday life. We're going to work hard to create a culture that says when people fail, that is okay. We want to give people opportunities to have a go. And when they make mistakes, because everybody makes mistakes, we're going to cheer them on and encourage them to have another go. Some of our times together will be spectacular, like a fine feast, like an amazing banquet. Many of our Sundays will leave us wanting more. In the course of time, many of our times together will probably be eminently forgettable. But the vision for our service is this. If we orient ourselves, our lives, around the right things, around the things that Jesus prioritised, if we do it as part of a wider community, then in due course, he's going to cause us to grow. He's going to take us like living stones and he will build us into a place where heaven touches earth where God connects with people. And I can't wait to see what that looks like. That's the vision for our service. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know it's going to be fun. And we would love you involved. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you so much that you are building your church. And at the start of going to weekly services in Sutton, we just want to offer our hands and feet, our hearts and our minds, and say that we are yours. We want to play our part. But we want to begin by taking a step back and resting in you. By trusting that ultimately you are building this, not us. And our trust and our faith and our confidence is in you. And so as we offer ourselves to you, God, do take us like living stones. And build us into a community whereby heaven touches earth, whereby God connects with people, whereby lives do end up getting transformed over time. Keep us humble. Keep us thankful. And help us not to miss the joy of the smallness right now. We ask this in the name of Jesus. And for the glory of his kingdom in Sutton, in the wider community, and right the way across the city of London. Amen.